0: We really appreciate you listening to the show this week, but we'd like to let you know this episode does come with a language warning, so maybe block the kids' ears. Yippee-ki-yay. Oh, let's, let's do this. <laughs> I'm
1: going
0: to make them an offer again.
2: I feel the need. The need for speed.
0: He's watched every movie more than once. He's Stephen Fannick. Go ahead,
2: make my day. He's watched the latest Disney movies with his kids, uh, but that's about it. He's
0: Trevor Long.
2: You talking to me?
0: Together, they bring you the best movies you've never seen. Have a look for you.
2: I will find you.
1: And I will kill you.
0: Rent buy or stream the latest and greatest movies on Fetch. Watch on a big screen sense TV.
2: My new friend. <laughs> the best movies you've never seen.
1: The first rule of Bike Club is you do not talk about Bike Club.
0: With Stephen Fennec and Trevor Long. This is the captain. Brace for impact. Hello and welcome to The Best Movies You've Never Seen. We are covering Die Hard this week. Merry Christmas to you all. It's coming out and we released this uh, on purpose around this time, so we'll get into that. My mm. name is Stephen Fennec and I'm joined by my movie challenge friend who's becoming a lot more movie savvy as, as each passing show, Trevor Long. How are you, mate? Mate, um, I'm
1: okay with the hammering that you give me for my lack of movie knowledge. Um, I think at this stage of life, I've got to be honest, and uh, I lead a very simple life, and clearly that life has been simple for a very long time, given what you're introducing me to.
0: Fair enough. Well, I I do like the fact we are building your movie library, so your, your movie knowledge is growing. Now, we're talking about Die Hard. It was released in 1988 directed by John McTeenan. We've actually covered one of his other movies. Can you recall that movie that we've covered already? Is
1: it the one that I really, really liked and you didn't think I would? Um,
0: it no. was set in a submarine. Oh, really? Red October is? Hunter Red October was John McTienan directed. See, everyone's the... going, mate, that was like five weeks ago. I'm like, dude, <laughs> I don't remember. Okay. He also directed Predator, which we'll get to. Uh, and also we went on to direct one of the Die Hard sequels, the uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, which was actually Die Hard Part 3. Uh, This movie stars Bruce Willis and is also based on a novel. It's based on the Roderick Thorpe novel called Nothing Lasts Forever. But as we'll get to uh, in the things you might not know, there are many, many, many differences between the book and what we ended up seeing on the screen. Now, John McTiernan turned down the script initially, the director. Because it was too much like the book, he thought it was just a bit too dark. He needed to lighten it up a little bit. And when when he was when he decided to take it on, he knew that that, that as long as they can sort of lighten up some of the some of the darker themes of the book, then he was on board. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to talk about the whole Christmassy in in the reactions and the buzz. But had you seen this before, and did you even know it was set at Christmas time?
1: Um, yes, I have seen this because I think. It may even be this time last year, Uh, Jackson, who had turned 14, clearly, you know, getting into very different movies, we went hard marathon style. Over a few
0: days, we watched a few of them. Okay. So die-hard movies. Yes. One and two. Oh, wow. Yes. So you are well-versed. I wouldn't say well-versed.
1: I certainly could, could have sketched out the broad plot of this movie. Right. From start to finish, so you know, I knew what was going on here.
0: So, did you watch it again this time with a sort of a different set of goggles on? Were you sort of looking? No, I I still. How do you you watch now now that you sort of, as you say to me, you now you make me watch movies? (laughs) How do you do? You set out just to let the movie wash over you, or you just are you really looking for things? Or
1: and, and this may be a bit inside baseball, but it has early on. I was trying to write notes and things, and try and share those with Steve so that, you know, we would, we would share this note situation, but it became hard for me to really watch and enjoy and follow a movie. Yeah. While still. So what I try and do is just write really, really interesting things I make a note of, but yeah, to be honest, I just, I'm just trying to go, here's two hours of my life. I'm just going to enjoy this time. It's, um, so yeah, I'm just trying to let it, let it soak in. I, I am obviously a little bit more observant over things. So you know like last week when we were talking about the Martian I am a little bit more hang on a minute what about that and you yeah, know trying to, I'm trying to find my own plot holes now and then
0: bit more critical I like it I, I'm I like
1: becoming it. more critical yes
0: very I'm good I'm a critic well the reaction to this movie the whole buzz there was a fair bit fair bit of buzz although one of the world's most famous critics Roger Ebert actually uh, gave it a negative review uh-huh. uh, and the reason behind it was a strange reason like there's a member the character the the uh, the chief Dwayne Robinson? remember the police guy who's yeah talking with Officer Powell. Not, not a fan. Yeah, he said that the character just was really, really dumb, and and he, he thought that that was, the movie could have been better without him, but uh, he eventually actually, though, he did like the sequels, and Later, changed his mind on the original Die Hard. He said it was. Uh, I think he's a, right, though. A... No. I'll, I'll be honest,
1: and we'll talk about that when it comes in. But I, I don't think he's too far off with that.
0: Yeah, oh, I don't mind it. I think it adds to the humor and some of the lines. Some of the best lines were in response to. to True. Wayne Robinson True. Talk about. Uh, this had four Oscar nominations too. Wow. Best sound, best film editing, best sound effects editing, best visual effects. Didn't win any. Nice to be nominated. Now the eternal question, though, Trev. Mm. And we'll address this now. Is this a Christmas movie? It's been debated. This is over thirty years old. This movie, been debated since then, and and it's an it's an argument that gets to come up recently. More people are talking about it and and discussing, debating whether this is actually a Christmas movie. So, in your opinion, Christmas movie, does it fit the mold of a Christmas movie for you?
1: I'm really glad that we gave the language warning at the start because I'm gonna I'm gonna jump right into this. There's no fucking way this is a Christmas movie. <laughs> okay, give me your reasons, because. Chris- it's it's, it's a Christmas. It doesn't that doesn't make it's it a Christmas. Christmas movie. Just because there's snow and it's Christmas time does not make it a Christmas movie.
0: Well, t- you know, it's not
1: the story of Santa Claus visiting children. There's nothing in the storyline apart from the time of
0: year that makes this a Christmas movie. Okay, but just to pull you up on one little point there, there was no snow in it. What was falling at the end? You know what I mean? It was dust that was falling. Mate,
1: I'm saying at the time... mate if you know a christmas episode of a tv show for example right because in america they often you know the seasons run into christmas right so nearly all good tv series has a christmas episode because it's yes. going to air at christmas time that's it's a critical part of the thing and it's always about giving and about festive it's it's about christmas right this is not about
0: christmas all right well 20th century fox who who produced the movie formally admitted that Die Hard was a Christmas movie, stating it's the greatest Christmas story ever told.
1: Yeah, mate, they're just I buying think, into I this silly debate that people like you it. are having.
0: That was what they said. Have you got the audio grab of Bruce Willis saying it's not a Christmas movie? No, but it is. He it, says it. Is. It's this. The the fox said it to mark the thirtieth anniversary of the movie. So I
1: wish I had lined up some audio now because I've seen the audio of Bruce Willis Willis going,
0: "Die Hard is not a Christmas movie." He said that. Yes. Okay. Well, it's not really up to him to decide that, though.
1: Oh, mate, he's the star of the movie.
0: movie, But how I interpret the movie is not for him to decide. It's up to me to decide. And I interpret it anyway as a Christmas movie. Yeah, but I I, I think that's being released today, December the 24th, Christmas Eve. I thought we'd put that in there. as a timely little movie episode, episode of the movie that is, in my mind, proves that it's a Christmas movie. It's not a Christmas movie. All right. Well, you know what? We'd like our our listeners to decide. They're all
1: going to say it is because you're all movie nerds and you're all going to say, of course, Stephen's right. It's a Christmas movie.
0: Mate, everyone's –
1: Disney Plus is running billboards with Die Hard and Christmas Yuletide and all this stuff.
0: That proves it. It's marketing. Proves it. Proves it's a Christmas movie. Anyway, we're about to dive into Die Hard right now. And if you haven't seen the movie, and it's been out for 30 years, I don't know why you wouldn't have already seen it. Long like Trev. This is the last exit before the freeway. And if you haven't seen Die Hard, I'm pretty sure if you switch over to Fetch, you'll be able to do something about that.
1: That's the way to do it and you can search Die Hard or you can search Bruce Willis and that's one of the great things about the Universal Search on Fetch. Search for an actor, search for a director, be um, in a movie and then look at the cast and click on that cast and actually discover more movies from that individual actor or um Cast member. It's a brilliant way to explore movies, especially when you've found a character or an actor you love. So uh, use your Fetch to explore and find great movies. Of course, there's the movie store, which is full of thousands of movies. And I think Die Hard is one of those ones you wouldn't rent, you'd buy, and you'd have it in your library. So that from then on, you press menu, go across to My Stuff and your movies, it's always going to be there for you. So you can get Fetch uh, from your internet provider. Uh, and if they don't have it, you can get it directly from a retailer like Harvey Norman or JB Hi Fi.
0: Okay, you're still with us. That means you're ready to strap in and experience Die Hard with us. Now, yeah, okay. This is after your late I won't say your first time watch. This is after your latest watch. Yes. Have you got any and, and f- let's let's put the Christmas movie thing to bed. Let's put that aside. No, my tweet what is this is not a Christmas movie. <laughs> what are your impressions apart from that oh, about this after your latest watch?
1: Oh, I do. This is a very enjoyable movie. And you know what? It's extremely rewatchable.
0: It um, is, yeah, and I think it it's is. because
1: it's quite fast paced. I, I
0: know it off by heart. This movie,
1: I, I think the fast pace of it really makes it very watchable because you—it's not that you notice different things every time. It's just, you know, I think different scenes are surprising again, um, even though the broad plot is quite obvious once you've seen it. Yeah, now, I, I think this is a nice, fun, relaxing, uh, kickback movie to watch, despite the fact that it is a brutal violent. Do you know what I mean? It's a yeah. weird thing to say, but I think it's absolutely. easy to sit back. It's a Sunday afternoon, you know? It's it's a, you know what this is? Yeah. This is a Boxing Day movie. You reckon? Yeah. Mate, you've had Christmas, I if you're Christmas. sick of your family, you've got a <laughs> little bit of a headache,
0: just put on Die Hard. Put on Die Hard, absolutely. Well I've got a bit of a story behind my watch of Die Hard. Okay. I was I, I went to see it with uh my then girlfriend Joe, who I'm now married to. And she was reluctant to see it. She said, what, Bruce Willis in an action movie? And I remember we we went. I said, look, trust me, I reckon this will be good. I've seen the trailer. It's going to be great. Because he was, was, remember I said he was uh, acting in Moonlighting. And um, we were watching the movie. But by the end of it, she was saying, this is this movie's amazing she was loving it she really she changed the tune within the space of a couple of hours there uh, and mate I've seen I've got an intimate knowledge of this movie every shot I know every I know it off my heart uh, and the the earlier the earlier um, the, the the sequels to follow were also pretty good as well I think they kept the same the same energy to, to the movies. It's just non stop. And uh yeah, this this has become a, a favorite of mine that I, I really enjoy watching over and over again. Let's move on to the cast. And so I've mentioned Bruce Willis. Yep. He took on the role of John McClane. Have a guess who turned down the role before he took it. And uh-huh. Sylvester Stallone? he was, in, he was right. in heat. He was in heat. Oh. Robert De Niro. Robert oh, De Niro wow had turned it down because he chose to play in the film Midnight Run opposite Charles Grodin, another good funny movie as well. And both films opened on the same weekend, would you believe? John McClane was also a controversial choice for to be the star of the movie. And John McTiernan, who I mentioned, had directed Predator, mm. with Arnold Schwarzenegger, was thinking that they assumed they were going to get him on board for this movie as well. But when he looked at the role, the role of John McClane, as he as he put it together, was supposed to be this character that's like an average guy. I think if you had someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger just blowing everyone up, it wouldn't and make it, sense. Yeah, being yeah, bulletproof, it wouldn't quite work. So because I think, I think course, Bruce Willis is is buff and strong everyone. enough
1: to look like a, a cop. Do you
0: know yeah, what I mean? Like a reluctant like, hero, like average guy. Yes. So that that's why I think it, it really worked out, and that's how Bruce Willis actually came to get the role because, um, because remember I was telling you um, John McKinnon wanted to, there to be a lighter edge to the movie, yeah, and because Bruce Willis was sort of known as more as a comedic actor. That sort of created the light moments, and yeah, he provided the he did. It it, it came out really well in that. Yeah, I I, I was my latest watch. I I was really surprised at how funny the movie was. How many great lines there is in this, and Mm. just the the funny, the, the 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 humor of the movie. But the other person to speak about in the movie is, is Alan Rickman, who plays Hans. Wood, oh, right. Yeah, he's very good. a great, great actor. He passed away recently. He Ooh. actually initially passed the role, passed it up. He, he passed on it. Um, it. It ended up, he, he eventually took it up, of course, but eventually it ended up being his very first film role because it only arrived in Hollywood a short time, probably two days earlier he was offered – he arrived in Hollywood and he was offered this role and he was a bit reluctant to be the villain in a movie in his very first role. Oh. So I think he was – he was known as a – he's a theatre actor. First movie, just knocked it out of the park. And so – Imagine became, landing and getting this role. Far oh, out. It was fantastic. So he was – it was – he was – prepared to be typecast as like a, as a bad guy but he's been yeah. in heaps of good movies as a not as a villain he's been uh in in he was in the harry potter movies he was in um a number a number of great roles where he was in love actually as well so the, in so he's really got a lot of range in terms of like a, he's a he could be an action villain he could be a comedic actor dramatic actor uh, and sadly uh, we lost him a, a few years ago uh, alan Rick. Before we jump into the memorable scenes, I want to talk about a memorable TV from our great sponsors, Hisense. They've got a range of TVs ranging in sizes from 43-inch all the way up to 86 inch so i think well, it's 85 inch isn't it not 86, 85 yeah. tvs and you've got an 85 inch high sense tv 85 inch high sense tv on the wall on that tv so if you yes. want to really enjoy the movies that we're talking about as the enjoy them in the way the director intended so really good picture quality 4k 8k really good audio quality as well i think people underestimate that Audio makes up so much of the enjoyment of a movie. The Hisense TVs have Dolby Atmos. They've got great speakers built in. So it really provides that fantastic experience. And as I said, ULED technology, quantum dot technology that provides great, great quality, 4K, 8K. So the whole package really gives you a tremendous experience. Give them a try. Hisense, if you want to have a great movie experience in your home, check out their range at hisense.com.au. Let's jump into it, Trev. And yep. the first thing we see is John McLean arriving in LA. So it there's I like how there's the scene where the bloke's next to him and he notices he's not a fan of flying.
2: You don't like flying, do you?
0: Because well, you that idea. You wanna know the secret to surviving air travel? After you get where you're going, take off your shoes and your socks. Then you walk around on the rug barefoot and make fists with your toes.
2: Fists with your toes.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. It sounds crazy. Trust me. I've been doing it for nine years. Yes, sir. Better than a shower and a hot cup of coffee. <laughs> so given, given how much we much travel, much? how many times have you done that? I've actually done this. I've tried this. didn't do anything for me, but I did it because okay. I'm such a fan of the movie. I thought I'd give it a crack. But you got to remember, that is the that is the advice that he, later on, we find out he doesn't. He, he goes, does no, take really it. So. It works. Right? <laughs> that's the reason why he's barefooted in the whole movie, remember? So, yes. Yeah, that, that's a little bit of a plot point there. So we we cut from there to the Nakatomi building. We see Holly Gennaro uh, and the, so we've sort of, we've met Bruce Willis. He explains to the guy, he said, remember the guy notices his gun? Yes. he goes, oh, don't worry. He goes, I'm a cop. He goes, I've been doing that for 11 years. So there's a bit of exposition there, sort of talk, talking about who he is. So you know he's a cop. Very quick character. 11 years. Them. Yeah. And so you know who he is from the get-go. And then we see the Nakatomi building and the Christmas parties going on. You see Holly Gennaro on the phone. And I love the really slow pan. She's on the phone and there's a really slow pan. You see all the pictures on her windowsill. You see her kids, and then suddenly you see her family photo with her and Bruce Willis. So, again, visually establishing, oh, this is Bruce Willis. This is John McClane's wife. So see how in the space of like a minute into the movie, you know he's a cop. You know he's married to this high-flying executive, and we're off to the races. But I do like the fact that when he gets off the plane, he meets Argyle the limo yeah, driver. It's very good. He says, what do we do now? He goes, I don't know. That's my first day as driving a limo. He goes, that's okay. My first, my see, first day of riding- the I this going?
1: Um, so I'm confused. Is he, you know, when you get to an airport and there's people holding up signs, is he making his name up or is there a double, double, two people with the same name? Is Why is he getting in a limo if he's never been in a limo before? Yeah. Like this, at this moment, until you realize that it's the big corporation that have ordered it for him, et cetera. Yeah. You know, I'm actually like. There. Yeah, yeah. So I actually, at this point, I'm thinking, so he's about to be suckered into this whole violent r- rampage through the building <laughs> without ever meaning to be there because he gets in someone else's limo, kind of like,
0: you know, George and Jerry. <laughs> that's that's <what> i <laughs> that's, that's a great episode. But no, we, we'd already established that his wife worked in Nakatomi and that the, he was, that was kind of their, their little gesture to get him to the, to the, to the building. Um, and he, again, another scene where, really good use of another character to drag out information from the main character. Remember he was mm. saying, so, well, you know, we, we, we should get this together. We should go pick up, you know, remember he had a big stuffed bear to give, to give, uh, it was in the back of the limo and he said, Oh, we should pick up some mama bears. And he goes, Oh, so, or is he married? Remember he's asking him questions. And, and then he explains the fact that, you know, my wife came out to LA, you know, she had a great opportunity, turned into a great job. And, you know, she's been there and he said, oh, so you never thought she was going to make it. So now she's her career's taken off. So we established that there's already a little bit of tension between yes. the, 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 between John and Holly. And uh, he then arrives at Nakatomi. What I loved about this bit too, when they're approaching in the limo, some beautiful long shots of the Nakatomi Plaza. So it was almost a character in the movie. How yes. you see the long Which shots. Which it needed to be because it actually is. It uh, plays a critical role. Absolutely. Uh, but did you notice too um, how the high tech touch screen made in the lobby? Did you? It's had- one of the first <laughs> things I noticed
1: because you think about when this when this is and you go like that's standard place today in a big business. You walk in and you've got to sign in. He walks into this building as if to say, "I'm here to see someone," and these the blokes just the like screen. mate, just touch the screen, which actually happens today. It's just cutting edge at the
0: time, yeah. yeah. It
1: was probably – I wonder whether it was even cutting edge at the time. I wonder whether it was just someone had this vision for the way it should be in this brand new building. I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, suppose it was – that was the idea. The building was supposed to be this ultra-modern, sleek-looking building. But he does discover, though, when he does get to that touchscreen, <laughs> that his wife – he looked up Holly McLean, but he discovers that she's actually taking uh, his – maiden name. Her maiden name. So she's gone back to Holly Gennaro. Uh, so he goes up to the 30th floor where the party's happening. And I think <laughs> I love the line where when he sees something early in the movie, he goes, California. Like there was a, a, at the airport, there was a guy, a girl that jumped into her boyfriend's arms and he said, oh, California. And then in the, when he arrives at the party, a bloke comes up to him and kisses him and says, Merry Christmas. And he goes, Fuck 30, you, yes. California. <laughs> the girl at the airport thing,
1: you know what I think that is? Because you watch it today and it actually just seems normal. But that girl is wearing, like, skin-tight activewear, which was not a thing back then, you know. Okay. Tracksuit pants were a thing. And so I think it's him she looking pause over going – She paused it to look at that. totally. White activewear. <laughs> now, I think it's him looking over going,
0: what is she wearing? Oh, California. California, yeah? yeah? yeah that's That's, what, that's really what he's getting awesome. at. Uh, and then he meets uh, Joe Takagi, who's the head of Nakatomi. And he uh, – they talk about Holly, how uh, – She's uh, she's a great executive, and yep. I love it how they walked into Holly's office and they find There's Ellis like on the blow, caught the coke off the desk. And I think uh, when he when um, Takagi introduced him, he goes, "Oh, this is um, John Holly's husband. Uh, he's a policeman." Maybe <laughs> he says that, <laughs> and then uh, and the says to him, "He goes, you missed a bit. You <laughs> actually quite wipe it off." And then his wife comes back in, of course, and we see that uh, they 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 sort of it's a bit of a have a bit of a moment like i don't think she's seen him for quite a while and um then well, they, you
1: know, i get the sense here that Alice is the you know the likely well, boyfriend pitched, yeah. basically pitched, you know uh,
0: he's doing his best yeah he's, yeah. he's pitching for sure uh but then he says oh just there's some place i can get washed up and then he goes out, out into the other room and then uh he he he's that that's when he she leaves him and he does his fists with the toes and working through. so he's barefooted at this point and uh the wife comes back in and she was asking, look, are you going to stay? You know, he goes, there was a captain who retired out here. I was going to go stay with him. And uh, and then she says, look, you know, the kids would love to have you at the house. I'd love to have you at the house. And then what he says to her, he says, oh, he goes, you, you like having me. He goes, you don't like my name, though. So, again, sort of the yeah, fight, the fight started again. And it was, you know, she had to go there and make a speech. And then he was very, you know, upset at himself that he bloody started the fight. Sort of, and then. Is the, this is when we see then the terrorists turn up?
1: Yeah, it's pretty action packed at that point because obviously it's and you know again it's a storyline right, but it's it's a very smart way of a separating him from the from the crew, b getting his shoes off because I think it plays a big role in the in the very movie, yep. and uh and you know getting her out of that scene and then it all happens while he's not in that room, which is. Yeah. In, in part, it's like, a, okay, how would that happen? But it's actually, you know, you could genuinely see it happening. You he's not there for the party. He doesn't want to be at the party. He's just there to see his missus. And, you know, so, of course, he's just freshening yeah. up,
0: basically. But so he was – remember, he then tried to call Argyle. Remember, Argyle said, look, here's my number. If you score with your lady, let me know. Otherwise, either way, I can take you wherever you need to go. Yeah. Remember, the line – the phones get cut off because they were, they were cutting all the phone lines. And – um just as he's in in the room then he hears he hears the gunfire and then Gruber gives his speech and starts looking for Takagi remember he was reading out his resume born in 1937 and this and at the very end he says father of five and then he's right there standing in front of him uh, so he
1: volunteers himself the, the 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 boss volunteers himself because he yeah. he sees him walking through the room and he's going to pick someone isn't he
0: and so yeah, so at this point, obviously, McLean's the terrorists are at the party. The gunfire went off. He bolts upstairs, and then we see sort of he he was upstairs thinking, "What the hell am I going to do now?" Sort of he's thinking about it, and we then notice that the Hans Gruber is the head of the terrorists that have arrived at the building. Um, Gruber gives his speech about you know what what the how Nakatomi corporation has been pillaging the world and doing all sorts of things. And then they take Takagi off, remember? They they take him up to the office uh, and they start interrogating him. Mr. Takagi,
2: I'm really not interested in your computer. But I need the code key because I am interested in the $640 million in negotiable bearer bonds that you have locked in your vault. And the computer controls the vault. What money? What kind of terrorists are you? <laughs> <laughs> Who said we were terrorists?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So That's we, a good point, we right? see. Yeah, exactly. At that we're, point, they're, then, they're
1: just robbers. Like, how. Yeah.
0: yeah. So the, we, we see the, the setup there, and then we see the, we see his ex. Uh, John McLean witnesses his execution, so basically sees him get executed Which in that... Which is the point
1: game. where John McClane realises, hang on a minute, these guys aren't just, you it's know... It's yeah. heavy
0: duty shit. Stand up he his thing. Thing. Yeah. yeah, so he sees him executed, and they sort of hear a noise, remember? They hear a yeah. noise and they chase after him, and um, he... The the next scene is them, you you see all of the all the other terrorists in the group arming the roof, they're, they're on the roof doing something, and so... They're asking. Look, he goes. You know what? He doesn't give us the code. How are we going to unlock the vault? That seventh lock's going to come down like a like a hammer. And he said, "Look, trust me. It's a time of miracles. You know, Chris. It's Christmas. We'll see what happens." And and so the next scene we come to is well, what is what is what's going to happen? So John sort of talking to himself. He said, "Why didn't you stop him, John?" But you know, because you'd be dead too, asshole. He's sort of talking to himself, and then he then he decides. To set off the fire alarm, do you remember yes. But he decides, okay, I'm going to call the. He's like
1: again. this is where where you know police now or so just general, you know, handy craft now goes. You know, like the phone, he goes up to a to a floor with it's under construction. He sees a phone, he picks it up. It's cut off because all the lines are cut off. You know, it's it's smart. There's a lot of smart
0: stuff that he does to get attention. So he's thinking. He's saying to himself, think, think, what can I do? And then after the. The fire trucks, and he sees them approaching. Thinking he get, he says he goes, "Come, he goes, going, to get I'll kiss your Dalmatian." He says as they're approaching, but then he sees them turn around. He goes, "No way!" So he he realizes that they've they've, they've turned them away. And then he they 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 find out. Uh, they said, "Oh, what floor is the fire alarm on?" He said, "Oh, it's on the thirty second floor." So what do they do? They send someone up to the thirty second floor, mm. and the the guy who goes up is sort of this big Euro looking dude. And uh, they get into a bit of a struggle and then fall back down the stairs together. And the guy breaks his neck in the fall. Yeah. And here's where um, Bruce Willis says, right. He, he, here's where you see his, uh, his how shrewd <laughs> and creative he is because he takes his gun. He takes he all the all well, he takes his cigarettes. He looks at his wallet for his, his ID and all that. He goes to wear and, his shoes and he goes. I
1: killed the yeah. other bike with feet smaller <laughs> than my wife.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, that that was another obstacle for him there as well. But what he does though, because he's a cheeky bastard, he writes on the guy's shirt. Remember, now I have a machine gun. Oh ho ho ho, ho 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 And what he does, he's really really clever. He puts the he puts the body back in the lift and. Then climbs on the roof of the lift and sends it back down to the thirtieth floor and he's on the roof listening in, writing their names on his on his arm so he knows who they are, trying to count how many there are. Yeah. So right away you're thinking this guy is smart. He's he's trying to try, trying to outsmart them in this situation. And so that just sort of that that just makes the the whole the whole course of the movie you're thinking, Well, you're really on his side. He's also um, now got a radio,
1: right?
0: He's got um, the radio as well. The
1: radio from the bike he's just killed. This is where he goes up onto the roof. And, and, and again, that's his now. So again, going, I need to be in a position where this radio can actually reach for emergency yes. services. And he's up there trying to radio for help. They have already killed one hostage. They are fortifying their positions while you're jerking me off on a radio. Now send the police Sir, I've already ASAP. told you,
2: this is a reserve channel.
1: If this is an emergency call, dial 911 on your telephone otherwise i'll have to report this as an fcc violation guys, report me come the fuck down here and arrest me just send the police now
0: <laughs> so he, he re, he's on the roof and then Hans group is thinking to get he's hearing it he's hearing it guys they're telling him they're telling him he's telling them everything and he says where's the best place to broadcast He goes, oh the roof so he sends up carl remember the guy that fell down the stairs and broke his neck carl's brother carl's brother so his bro he's got a motivation to kill this bloke so he goes up on the roof and he, they had this gunfight and he, he manages to sort of head in back into the building and heads to the elevator shaft. Do you remember, did you like the move where he uses the gun strap? He sort of puts the gun.
1: I and hate the this out. bit. Yeah. <laughs> because, A, it's daunting. But, B, honestly, that strap, it gives away so slowly over such a long period of time. Yeah that it's, you know, there's moments where they shoot the, from, from up the, the gun where the strap's kind of undoing. And if he felt that movement, he would be moving much quicker to get off. It's just it's a forward. bit... Hollywood, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's far <laughs> too Hollywood for me, that scene. Yeah.
0: But he ends up... Remember, he falls. He slips and falls and, and mm. goes down a few levels, manages to grab onto the, the shaft the, and goes into the ventilation shaft. So he goes into that little shaft and he says, oh, no, now I know what a TV dinner feels, yeah. dinner feels <laughs> it's like. It's also
1: one of the most iconic uh, uh, screenshots from the movie too. You'll see people that make little Christmas magnets. Yeah, their bridge, inside the silver inside, tube. Inside, silver inside a little chair. spam can, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, I've seen that a few times actually. This Christmas I've seen that. So it is a
1: Christmas movie, mate.
0: Um, anyway, he... They remember when he's in the shaft that the, the the Kyle sees the light going in the in yeah, the so shaft. So he knows where he gun, is, and then he goes after, and then he. Remember, he just fires along the sh- along the vent, mm. and all the bullets managed to miss. They just remember he sees amazing really. in front of him. Like wow, that's uh, the, he's either a bad shot or Bruce is <laughs> quite lucky there. <laughs> so we remember in the previous section when he's trying to make the call through the radio, yep. the woman says, oh, look, send a black and white to to have a look," and then we yep. meet. Officer Powell, who's buying Twinkies at a convenience store, and he says, "Oh, they're from my wife. She's pregnant," and, which was true. He confirms later that his wife, there's a their first is on the way. Yeah. And the guy goes, "Yeah, sure, right." I think, he has, I think he says, "I thought <laughs> you cops ate donuts, not yeah. Twinkies." So anyway, he does his. Uh, he goes by and walks into the lobby, and the guy's pretending he's watching a basketball game. Remember, and he goes and he goes, oh, to hell with this. Uh, I'm out of here." But in the meantime, though, McLean's actually trying to he sees the black and white tries to get his attention you remember this bit where yeah trying to see it and then the two other terrorists come in the room he kills one and then there's the other guy who gives him this little bit of advice next time you have a chance to kill someone don't hesitate thanks for the advice so he does that. He voices <laughs> him as well, and I think one of the lines too. He goes, "Who's driving this black and white?" Stevie Wonder. And during that, <laughs> year, during it's a that great year, line because he's just going around and around this roundabout thing. <laughs> but they also cut to Argyle in the limo at that. Remember when in that scene he's listening to Stevie Wonder? Yes. If you pick, if, I've watched it enough times to pick up these little things. And so, <laughs> what he decides to do, he's got to get his attention. So what does he do? He throws the body out the window. Let
2: it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Dead goddamn thing is incredible! Welcome to the party, pal! <laughs>
0: <laughs> so... He's involved now, so police are going to be arriving shortly. And did you catch the scene too, where the reporter was in the TV studio? Yeah, and he's on the phone like media. his wife
1: talking about dinner, and but he hears yes. the police, which is you know, and again, we we've worked in, in media for long enough that this back in the day, this is exactly what a newsroom was like. At the you know in the 2GB newsroom, we would have scanners running all the time back before police scanners became digital and encrypted. You'd have a scanner running. Jason Morrison, you uh, I worked with for years. He 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 would have a police scanner in his car and at
0: home because you'd be monitoring for stories. That's how you found a good story. When I was a cadet, one of my cadet rounds was the midnight to dawn shift, and yep. we just drove around in a car and we had a police radio. That's where we went to all the different jobs during the night. So yep. I can I can understand how they would be monitoring that. So when now he so the reporter storyline is sort of starting, uh, but now we we also see the police are arriving on the scene and. And Hans Gruber says, look, you know, don't worry. They hear all the sirens and everything. He says, look, don't worry. Police action was inevitable. This is just the beginning. It's what we expected. And he he then hears on the radio someone's broken radio silence.
2: Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy?
0: Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. So that was kind of the iconic line of the movie. And that was when uh, he's – he was telling him about the two other people that he killed, and so he's yeah. he sort of says, "Oh, you yeah, you're a part of the party crasher." He was calling him, and that was that great line. And the reporters then, meanwhile, asking to get the remote truck to cover the Nakatomi story. Yeah. Um. And then the when when Officer Powell turns up, this was his first contact with McLean. So he McLean he, he gets him on the radio. He doesn't tell him. He doesn't want to tell him who he is. He goes, he, remember, he goes, call me Roy. Roy, for Roy, 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 Roy Rogers, because oh, oh, yeah, he mentioned Roy Rogers earlier. It's a party line, but the neighbours have got itchy trigger fingers. So uh, the, the police chief, Dwayne Johnson, arrives, and, and then Powell thinks that uh, he's a cop, and they have this little conversation. Dwayne Robinson, Powell, what's the deal here? What do these pricks want? Well, if you mean the terrorists, sir, we don't exactly know. We haven't heard a peep from them.
1: Well, who in the hell have you been talking to? We don't know that either, sir. He won't give us his
2: name. But he appears to be the one who phoned in the report. He's killed one terrorist for sure, and he claims he's capped off two others. He claims?
0: Powell, has it occurred to you he could be one of the terrorists pulling your chain? Or some nutcase in there?
2: I don't think so, sir. In fact, I think he's a cop. Maybe not LAPD, but he's definitely a badge. How do you know that? A hunch. Things he said. Like being able to spot a phony ID. Jesus Christ, Powell! could be a fucking bartender
0: for all <laughs> And it's funny he mentions because, do you recall, his yeah. job before moonlighting was he was a bartender. <laughs> uh, and so we're at the point now where Holly goes into Gruber's office, or he knew her own office, which Gruber's yeah. taken over. And uh, he says, uh, she, That was a good line too. He says to her, What idiot put you in charge? He goes, Well, you did when you murdered my boss.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: and then she wants to get people to the bathroom. And she, he says to her, He goes, Oh, Takagi chose his people well. And she says that uh, my you know, what's your name? And she says it's uh, Holly uh, Miss Gennaro, Holly Gennaro. And do you remember earlier in the movie that she placed the picture of her family down flat on the on the mm. window mm, mm. So and him, she's looking so at it at this her. point in yeah.
1: this in this scene, yeah. she's looking over his shoulder at that photo being pushed down. And you you assume like I'm looking at it, going, he's going to look at that photo, but he doesn't for some
0: time into the movie. A, a little later on, he so he realizes because he hasn't quite gone face to face with with Hans just yet, Bruce Willis. Yeah. So, but this is the part of the movie now where um, the the police are going to now launch their rage. So they're going to come into the building. This is when the uh, visual uh, effects yeah. team really get to play some. Oh games. yeah, and this is like a funny. Like I remember Roger Roger Ebert was saying how Robinson ruined that was a good fit for the movie i disagree i reckon it really it typified the bumble they were all bumbling about out there they were mm-hmm. they were sort of cartoon versions of real police and we see that again when the fbi arrived. but when they're out there prepared for the raid they're setting up they're setting up to do the raid and what it makes me laugh every time i watch it the the cops are they're all real macho cops running towards the entrance and one of the officers uh, brushes by, brushes up against a, like a rose. A rose. He goes, oh, yeah! Like he gets hurt by the little. Prick, yeah. These little are the blokes the that are
1: going to storm the building, and he gets pricked by a rose <laughs> thorn. He's like, "Oh no!" It's a very good. It's probably one of the best little uh, micro oh,
0: yeah. It's great. things. Yeah, it is great. And so, what we're doing and the. They're they're setting up their the in the building. They're setting up the counterattack. So they've got like rocket launchers ready to go. And one of the coppers kept saying, "Send in the car, send in the car." And then so what they do, they hit it. They hit it with the rocket launcher. And then Gruber says, "Memory says, hit it again." And then McLean, McLean tells him, he "Goes, hey, I'll show you, you bastards." And he he, remember he puts all the C four that he grabbed off the other the yeah. other tourists, and he sends it down the elevator shaft. And boom, there's uh the fireworks. But then. Dwayne Robinson, uh, they get him back on the radio, yep. and he. This is the first time that that McLean has actually had a chat with Robinson.
2: This is Deputy
0: Chief of Police Dwayne T. Robinson, and I am in charge of this situation. Oh, you're
1: in charge. Well, I got some bad news for you, Dwayne. From up here,
2: it doesn't look like you're in charge of jack shit. <laughs> you listen to me, you little asshole. I'm a asshole.
1: I'm
0: not the one who just got butt fucked on national TV, Dwayne. <laughs> He's talking about them getting hammered. in a great line So it's uh, a re- again a really funny line, and, and I think look, you could easily say if you might not agree it's a Christmas movie, you can agree it's an action comedy. There is a lot of comedy in the movie. In the meantime, Ellis, who was the the, the slimy dude doing the coke off the off her desk at the start, he fancies himself as a bit of a negotiator. He goes, look, you know, you use a gun, I use a fountain pen. Our objectives are the same. Uh, he he tries to go in there and sweet-talk them sweet talk them on John McClane's behalf.
1: Hans, this shithead does not know what kind of man you are, but I do. Listen. Good.
2: Then you'll give us what we want and save your friend's life. You're not part of this equation. It's time you realized that. Hey, what am I, a method actor Hans. <laughs> Babe, put away the gun. This is radio, not television.
1: Hans, this asshole is not my friend. I just met him tonight. I don't know him. Jesus Christ, Ellis. These people are going to kill you. Tell them you don't know me.
2: <laughs> John, how can you say that after all these years, huh? John. John.
0: <laughs> so go <on. laughs> right, Ellis. Uh, So, and again, Robinson, Dwayne Robinson, he goes, oh, he he could have saved him, and 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 power saying, he goes, he tried everything to save him, and so again, they're at odds downstairs. But here's the moment that is, uh, is that the FBI then turns up on the scene, and just before this, remember, um, remember the guy who was doing the drilling in the into the vault. Yes, he said, look, he goes, I don't know what you got installed. I've gotten through the six locks. We're going to need a miracle to access the vault. And the FBI arrived, and did you love the fact that they're Agent Johnson, this is Special Agent Johnson, one dude was a, like a European-looking black, one black was a black guy, no relation. He says, no relation. <laughs> <laughs> Johnson's quite a common name, no relation. So uh, McLean's up on the roof, and he went he goes, what were you doing up here? So he went up to investigate, um, and then so Hans Gruber decides to go up and check the roof is wired properly, and that's when they bump into each other. So this is the first meeting between John McLean and Hans Gruber.
2: You smoke? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. You don't work for Nakatomi, and if you're not one of them. I'm a cop from New York. New York? Yeah. Got invited to the Christmas party by mistake. Who knew?
0: So he does put a great voice on to fool him. So remember when they first see he goes, oh, my God, you're one of them, aren't you? You're one of them. And so he... He's never seen hands He doesn't know what he looks like. Yeah, that's right. John McClain's thinking that this is just some random dude. He even asks him his name. He goes, "Oh, Clay, Bill Clay." And he sees makes it Clay. up from the name on the wall yeah, on the wall as well. But he eventually hands him a gun, and then we see something else happen.
2: Put down the gun and give me my detonators. Oh, well, well, Hans. Put it down now. It's pretty tricky with that accent. You ought to be on fucking TV with that accent. But what do you want with the detonators, Hans? I already used all the explosives. But did I? I'm going to count to three. They could do
0: with Takagi. Oops. <laughs> Boy, fucking stupid Hans. So this is the scene where the the beep of the elevator with the other terrorists that are arriving, and he says, Oh, you were saying, and then he he, he runs off, she fires as he's running off, and they shoot the glass. Remember it cut up his fist.
1: Yeah, the whole office is destroyed, and he's he's essentially trapped because Hans. Actually tells the German guy in German or whatever language to shoot the glass because he knows he's he's barefoot and that's going to cripple him.
0: So they call he calls him to the floor and then yeah he tells them to shoot the glass. But um, what he's you see him pulling shards of glass out of his feet and it's uh, he uh, he gets back on the radio with Officer Powell and he's talking about the con- the conversation about his feet. He goes, "Have you you got flat feet?" He goes, "What what got you off the street?" Remember he asked him the question. And then we find that that uh, Officer Powell. Who used to be? Uh, he was like bound, death bound now because he had an incident. He shot a child. He shot a kid, yeah. and he said, "Oh, you know, it looked like a real ray. The ray gun looked like a gun." And
1: it's really like a humanizing of the of the character there. For, yeah, for Powell, so isn't it?
0: they're all battling their own little their own little demons, and um, when when then the FBI turns up, this is sort of the part. Remember when Gruber says, "You ask for miracles, I give you the FBI." <laughs> so we start running through the playbook and. Any scene with these two FBI agents were fantastic, and one of the things in their in their in like their operations manual is to shut down the power. And this conversation was when they asked them to do it. It's got to be done from downtown. They've got to take out a whole city grid. We're talking ten square blocks, ten blocks, Gene. yeah, Johnson. That's crazy. It's Christmas Eve, man. There's thousands of people. You have to we go can't. wider. Look, the mayor will have my ass. authorization. Authorization? How about the United States fucking government? Hey. Lose the grid or you lose your job. So it's pretty obvious what they wanted to happen there. And this was the miracle that Gruber promised. He knew the FBI's tactics. It's one of those great things where they, they know into. the
1: tactics, isn't it? You're waiting for the tactics. because You're waiting for the FBI, which is going to shut the power down, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: And then when it happens, how triumphant! The music, this the, the plays, the vault opens, all this music plays. It was like a they, they you know, you ask for miracles, I give you the FBI, and they did exactly <laughs> what we expected. They're in there, getting all the bearer bonds, thinking they're going to be. I think the line he goes goes by the time they go through the rubble, we're going to be sitting on a beach earning twenty percent. So he's, <laughs> he's 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 got them there. But the FBI's plans though were to. To send in helicopters, he we're going to give them helicopters because they asked for helicopters to yep. take the the, uh, the the hostages away. Yes, we're going to give them helicopters right up the ass. He says, They're going to give <laughs> helicopters." So it gets to a point now too where McLean is sort of feeling really despondent. He goes, "Oh, look, tell my wife somehow you're going to find her. I should have been more supportive. You know, she's the best thing that ever happened to a bum like me." And then we see the reporter thinking they find out who McLean is. Yes, and the real dick move was to go and that was actually his name dick thornburg thornburn they go out to the to his the holly's house with the kids and they remember that he says to the housekeeper he goes you let us in or i ring ins like the immigration to say yeah. you, know, you might be a legal immigrant and then they film the kids saying oh you know you but you might not be able to talk to your parents ever again what do you want to say to them like real yeah. a, a reporter would never do that yeah. it's sort of step over would. the line Yeah, well, Dick Thornburn, yeah, lived up to his name that night. Uh, But again, McLean is wondering, why was he on the roof? Why did they go up there? And then he finds all the C4 on the roof, and the, the plan was to get all the hostages to the roof, blow the roof, and McLean's up there trying to look for Holly, and he says, look, go back down. Because the, the, it's a trap, you know. Get down there, out of here. People start running this down. This is an
1: epic scene because the helicopter shot, the helicopter's flying low through the streets. And there's another part in this where the FBI agent is like, it's just like NAMM or whatever he says. And the other boy goes, that's mate, i junior high. It's such a That's one of my
0: favorite quotes. That's in it's our quotes. Great <laughs> thing, but they're
1: flying so light, like it's so well shot. Because, yeah, it you is. Know me, the, the big thing I hate about um, movies that are super visually intense is I don't like it when it doesn't look real. Yeah. There's only one part of this that doesn't look real. I'll get to that at the end, but yeah. you know, this is this,
0: legit. Them running, they were flying so down well to of the Stars. i might not surprise you to know that I've actually walked, I've taken photos of Nakatomi. It's actually oh, I was there a couple of years ago? Yeah, so it, it is in the it's in the uh, Avenue of the Stars is the street. It's quite a wide avenue, and the gunships are flying down there. But um, after he battles with Carl, remember he sort of gets him, ties him up with a chain, and yeah. sort of get, gets rid of him. Um, Gruber also works out who Holly is, remember? Because he's met he's met McLean. She, he, took, he lifts up the photo and sees, ah, yes or should I call you Mrs. McLean? So he's got a hostage now. So that sort of really intensifies the situation. Meanwhile, they're flahooning down Avenue of the Stars, contemplating what the body count's going to be.
2: Well, you figure the breakage. Figure we take out the terrorists.
0: Those 20, 25% of the hostages. Tops, I can live with that. <laughs> so they're thinking, yeah, she'll be but right. Seriously. 25% like, of the hostages. Just like 25% of the hostages. It's all good. I can live with that. We'll be right. Yeah, so they, they go ahead. and But the thing is, though, when, when John McLean's trying to tell them to get off the roof, he he fires his gun to scare them down back into the building, and then the FBI spot him and said so they assume has... it's he's a terrorist. Yeah. They think he's a terrorist. They they try to uh, to shoot him, and uh, so he he then ties the the hose around him to to escape.
2: load on roof. I promise I will never even think about going up in a tall building again.
0: Oh, God. Please don't let me die. So, so what happens? Remember, he dives off. Just as a, it's great timing that they blow the roof, takes out the FBI, the helicopters, the FBI yeah, helicopters blown yeah. up, and John McClane's diving off the roof with the hose tied around his waist, and he it, it stops his his fall, and then he shoots the glass, goes back into the building to. Uh, yeah, luckily he uh, he. He didn't fall to his death. But then you see, though, Argyle, who's still, meanwhile, in the limo, spotting them driving out of... Remember, they had the truck, which when they arrived in the truck, by the way, there was no ambulance in the back of it. That was a big mistake as well. They drive out the fake truck, uh, the fake uh, ambulance, out of the back of the truck because that I think that was their... That was their uh, escape. It was oh, did they be- show
1: inside the truck earlier in the movie? Did oh, they? when they
0: all walk out of the truck, there's a great shot of Hans Gruber walking, everyone walking by with the camera, and you can see right into the back of the truck. There's no ambulance in there. <laughs> that, that's something. That's something that John McTiernan and the director acknowledge He said that was that was a screw up. That, that, that was a mistake of theirs. But um, we see him. Remember when he he confronts? He sees the ambulance, walks over, knocks out the driver. Yeah, uh, and so that that, that that's put the, he he crashes into the ambulance and then knocks him out, and now we see McLean's now the sort of the final confrontation where he's got his machine gun. He looks into the into the machine gun. And he goes, "Oh, there's only two bullets left in his gun," and so he decides. Remember, he he sees the tape, the Christmas wrapping, and the tape, and he tapes the gun to his back. So he when he walks in to see Hans Gruber and the other guy. They see, he says, oh, they, they have their guns out. He goes, i oh, put down the gun. So he puts the machine gun down, knowing he's got the gun uh, on his back. And this is the, his final confrontation with Hans Gruber.
2: Oh, yeah. What was it you said to me before? Yippee kaye, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Happy trails, Hans. So at this point, the other guy who shoots him in the head and then hands is wounded and falls out the window, remember? Yes. And he's still got, remember, he's got um, Holly, Holly as a hostage. He's, yes. She's still hanging on by her watch, the Rolex watch that they gave her, remember? And she undoes the clip and then, see you later. Harm's, and this is the only bit where you. I like
1: it's it just doesn't look real enough. There's a bit of solid green screen action here. Oh, yeah. I, is that if, what you were talking about?
0: The effects yes. weren't that crash yeah. out right. Yeah. That's the only one. Yeah, this, how they this, shot that, I'll, I'll talk about in the in the in the things you didn't know. This, this moment
1: did. of him falling is the only one I didn't think looked great
0: in okay. the movie. Yeah, it was very That's good. Fair, Don't fair, me get me wrong. Fair super For the fickle. time, I think it was all right. Yeah, looking back, it probably it is a bit dated. But um, the the ending of the movie is uh, John McClane. He's he's reunited with his wife. They you know they're, they love each other again, and it's all good. They go downstairs, and somehow he recognises Powell. So Officer Powell, they sort of find each other and without any words being spoken, they think, okay, I know who you are, I know who you are, boom, they have a nice hug. But Carl, who Bruce Willis thought he killed up on the top floor, suddenly appears with his machine gun. And do you remember what happened to Powell before, how he shot a kid? He shot a kid and he had never been able to point a gun at anyone since. So now he's the hero. He shoots Carl dead. And the next bit we see too is that dick, the dickhead reporter coming back. And Holly
1: waxes. And Holly I love goes
0: bush guard and so he cracks him on live TV. And he says, "Oh, did you get that? Remember how when the the building blew up early in the movie? He goes, "Tell me you got that. And he goes, "Yeah, I got it. And then he says, "Did you get that? And he gets punched in the face. And I love the last line is Argyle saying, "God, if this is Christmas, I have to hang around for New Year's. So. Uh, <laughs> End of the movie. Now let's talk about the favorite quotes you did. There is one that you mentioned. That's my last one that we're going to talk. That we're going to play. But here's a good one. And it was. This is when he was in the ventilation shaft. He had the lighter, and this is what he says:
2: "Come out to the coast. We'll get together. Have a few laughs."
0: (laughs) So, because this is remember, he was saying the a retired captain was out there. That's yeah. probably a conversation they had. He's yeah. reminiscing about the conversation while he's uh, crawling through a ventilation space. And the next
1: That's, one is, is, is where he's, he, he's frustrated, isn't he? Because he's yes. not, get, but, but it's not getting it. through that he's got, he's got a real emergency.
2: This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. No fucking shit, lady. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza. <laughs>
0: That's a great line. This next one is when, remember, he dropped the C4 down the shaft and it's just everything blew up. And he's on the radio to Officer Powell uh, asking about what happened. What what was that? Remember
2: that plastic explosive I told you about? Yeah. There you go. Is the building on fire? No, but it's going to need a paint job and a shitload of screen doors.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And this is my all time favorite. I quote this. Sorry, I spoiled Uh, it for you earlier. You you stepped all over it. But no, but I'm glad you noticed it, though. I'm very happy you noticed it. Let me play it.
2: Yeah! Ah! like fucking saga! Hey, slick. I was in junior high,
1: dickhead. <laughs> I love that line. Cuz it's I was in junior high, dickhead. Slick, slick would just fucking hate that guy. He'd be like, "Mate, you're a dickhead." And this <laughs> oh, is the yeah, best just like fucking
0: Cygar. Oh, that was classic. <laughs> love it. Love it. Righto. How did that happen, mate? A few plot holes here. Let's talk about okay. it. Was, do you think, um, apparently the rules in the States, if uh, state-issued enforcement uh, firearm licenses prevent you from traveling out of your jurisdiction with a gun.
1: Oh, so God. Early,
0: that early scene uh, where McLean's got his gun, uh, that really shouldn't have happened. He, he, uh, he's a New York cop. He, he wouldn't be allowed to carry a gun on an aircraft that's in Los Angeles. Oh, right, here, yeah. It's a little, little nitpick. Pretty important part of the movie, though, so... A little nitpick, of course. Here's the other thing, and, again, this is a movie that people have gone over every single detail yeah. and come back with all these little findings and theories, okay? Do you remember when he drops the... Remember he tied the old-style... The old and the C4. With the C4, and he dropped it down the shaft. So he's got time... So when he looks down the shaft and sees... The, uh, he's got time to jump back because the, the, he sees the explosion, but apparently C4, the gases that ex- expand from C4, actually expand faster than the speed of sound. So he heard it and thought, oh, I better go. By that time, his face would have got blown off because the oh, gas oh, was... My issue off. with
1: that explosion wasn't that, but that's very technical, was that he threw it down the elevator shaft and... The floor that blew up from the outside was like the first floor,
0: yeah. So the bottom, the bottom lobby area, that yeah. Did no, it even one above
1: the, the lobby, it was, it was kind yeah, of just yeah. above that, and it's like, well, why did the C four explode there? It didn't make sense. Interesting.
0: Um, when he sets off the fire alarm, so his objective was to get the police there, and when they called to turn the trucks around, uh, apparently procedure is that the vehicles can't be just called off; yeah. they've actually got to, they've got to reach the building and see for themselves that there's no fire. So it's actual procedure that they they have to verify. Yeah, I mean, very procedurally technical. You've got to there. verify that it was actually, there's no fire there. So it's the, them turning the the, the uh, nice plot device. But anyway, uh, the other thing too, and I, I, I'm, I don't know whether you wonder this as well, when Powell, when the body falls on his car, he's a fair distance away from the building. Like he's like, he'd be 10 metres or more Away from the edge of the building, so if someone drops a body, a body's going to drop right near the edge of the building. So, mate, he's got some arm on him if he can throw well, the body out. That my body. my thought at this point is,
1: wouldn't you just shoot at the cop car, not the cop, yeah. but just you know, shoot a few bullets at the at the
0: bonnet and the yeah.
1: you know rear window or something, something that won't damage. Or That's hurt the other
0: much. argument. The other theory is that do you remember when the body hits the bu- the car and he's reversing away really quickly? The terrorists that were near John McLean were dead. So, mm. who's shooting at the car? A lot of people think that to get his attention, Bruce Willis was firing at the car himself. McLean was firing at the car oh, as right. well as the terrorists. So right. they were joining in. Okay. So yeah, anyway, he's got he's got a solid arm. He threw the threw the body far <laughs> enough to land on a good shot too. Landed on the car. Um, the plan to cut the power to Nakatomi to unlock the vault um, and steal the bearer bonds. They reckon that if there's any kind of electric device that needs to be maintained for security, like a vault, it would have UPS, uninterruptible, Universe, yeah. uninterruptible power supply. Yeah. So uh, even if they did cut the power, the bloke said, lose the grid or lose your job. He did his job, but it should have its own power supply. Just a little technicality. The FBI playbook wasn't quite yeah, accurate. Pretty, pretty important. Now, at the end of the movie, you realize you remember when Hounds was holding onto Holly's wrist and the remember they gave her the yeah. Rolex? Now, you did you notice that she undid the clasp, so flips the clasp on the watch to so that it falls off her and yeah. then he loses the grip? Well, apparently Rolex watches don't have a clasp like that. They've got a continuous <laughs> there's no there's no uh, clasp to be loosened, so it wasn't a Rolex. It was might have been a fake Rolex. Things you might not know, Trev, the fictional Nakatomi Plaza, did you know that the was the headquarters of 20th Century Fox? You have told me this many times before, yes. I've visited many times. And it was actually unfinished as well. And they decided, you know what, let's pay ourselves rent. Let's use our own movie, our own uh, building for our own movie, because they produced the movie as well. And nowadays, and this is me, this is me guilty as charged, do you, because of the, they people see it and instantly recognise it as Nakatomi. You're now forbidden from taking photos directly outside the building. They come out and tell you, "Can you not take photos?" So, what did I do? I went, I went across the road, get a better angle on it. Anyway. Oh, good luck stopping people. Yeah, exactly. It's like one of the blokes stopped me taking photos of the bank that was in heat. I said, "Mate, they shot a fucking movie here. You're going to stop me now? Come yeah, on." Good
1: luck. I've definitely taken photos out front. Absolutely.
0: Now, the original release poster of the movie, right? So this was. remember I told you about the controversy having Bruce Willis as an action hero? It was like a, a really controversial choice, and uh, the studio was a bit nervous whether his, yeah. uh, his face on the poster would be enough to promote the movie. Um, they thought it would – having his face on the poster, they were worried it was going to deter uh, people from seeing the movie who weren't fans of his or who didn't know who he right. was. But um, so initially it was just the building – in the pre-release, uh, of the pre-release post was just the building. But then once it was released and was a hit, uh, the they early success, in. they said, oh, let's put his face on the poster. Mm-hmm. Um, the scene where Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman uh, meet up for the first time, remember that scene where he puts on the accent? That was yeah. unrehearsed, So it gave him a... Greater feeling, so it was a bit more spontaneous between the two actors. So they never yeah. ever, yeah, yeah, you're showing me I a picture. I found my of photo of Nakatomi. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got look for mine. Yeah, I've got about a thousand of them. Um, how's this for another little bit of trivia, mate? Do you remember Argyle and the bear in the limo? Yes, where have we seen that bear before? huh. do you remember the other movie that John McTiernan directed, Hunt for Red October? Yeah. Remember the very last scene where um, Jack Jack uh, is, is going back to London on the plane? Oh, there's a bear. The bear next to him? That's the same bear as in this movie. What? It would have a credit, I think, that bear. Same bear. Same <laughs> director, same bear. It has an IMDb page listing. Oh, there might be. There might be, yeah um in the singlet you know the uh the top that, that John McClane wore in the movie yep. is now hanging in the Smithsonian museum mate it's a bit of a,
2: a bit wow. of movie history
0: there um the scene where mcclane falls down the shaft remember he had the gun and the strap yes and remember how he slipped yes you know, that was actually not meant to happen so there was a stuntman right the stuntman who was doing the stunt missed missed the uh grabbing the vent and actually slipped further down, slipped down the shaft. It wasn't as long a shaft as in the movie, but that was actually a stuntman who made a mistake, and they kept it in the movie because it just added to the drama of him not grabbing grabbing the vent as he fell down. Um, How Alan Rickman got the role as Hans Gruber, apparently in 1987, the year before the film came out, Joel Silver, who was the producer, and John McTiernan, who was the director, Actually attended a performance of Dangerous Liaisons, a play, and in the play, Alan Rickman played the villain in the play. Uh, wow, Comte de Valmont is the villain, and they thought we found our Hans Gruber. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we got the role, and but remember, he initially turned it down. We thought, you know what? Let's give it a go. Uh, a lot of the script too. There was a lot of tinkering with the screenplay. A lot of these, so a lot of those lines you heard. A lot of them were improvised. A lot of the script right. was just made up on the spot or, you know, they they, they just let them go, yeah. uh, have, have a bit of improv- improvisation. Uh, did you also see, see there was the scene where, remember, they said shoot the glass? Yeah. If you really look closely, Bruce Willis is actually got a fake pair of feet on. Like he's got like a pair of, they're like rubber shoes. That oh, make really? Feet feet. So when he's there, you see, if you have a really close look at it, you see that he's feet are actually a little bit bigger than normal. <laughs> you gotta have a really oh man, I've seen it so many times oh, that you can you pick it up. Um, in the original script, right, in, in the original novel, mm. the the action took place over three days. So they, they condensed it. So they wanted to have it in a shorter space of time. Yeah. John McTean and the director was actually inspired by a Shakespeare play to have it in one in one night. So if, if you've ever seen the play *A the Summer Night's Dream, which takes place over a single night, he wanted the same feel, having it in one night. Oh. The, uh, the line, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker, that's used in four other Die Hard movies. Used in Die Hard 2, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Die Hard 4, Uh, and I I think it was also used in A Good Day to Die, which was the one that was released in 2013. It is, the line was voted as number 96 of the 100 greatest movie lines by Premier Magazine in 2007. Of course. Now, the the novel that was the basis of the film was um, written by Roderick Thorpe. The uh, person who owned the rights to that novel was Clint Eastwood. Wow. And he... Um, Planned to star, to produce, and star in the movie in the early eighties, but uh, things being as they were, those plans got out of hand and it got into John McTiernan's hands, who I think did a pretty good job. Wow. Um, The the other scene that was improvised as well, they the the so when Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman had that first scene together, Mm -hmm. the his American accent was something that Bruce Willis had never heard before. You're right. That, that said, added to the improvisation as well. Um, in the, and I mentioned being able to spot a fake, remember the, the line where, what do you think? is a fucking bartender, this guy. So being able to spot a phony ID, which is John Wood, uh, Bruce Willis was actually a bartender. So he probably could spot a phony ID anyway. Uh, in other countries, this is what I like about some movies. They're called different things. The name mm. of the movie is different. In Spain, the movie was called Crystal Jungle. And in France, it was uh in French Piège de Cristal. In Poland, it was the glass trap. Because you know, die hard doesn't translate to other languages, I don't know. Uh, that's the reason why they decided to uh to change it. Now in your favorite scene where you know Hans Gruber falls, mm. uh Alan Rickman was uh he was he was gonna be dropped from a height to get uh, to get the effect you know so the camera yep. was above him what they did to get the reaction they actually dropped him they said we're going to drop you on the count of 3 they dropped him on the count of 2 so that cool. look of shock on his face is real yep. what do you reckon the body count was in this movie mate how many how many people were uh were killed in this movie what's just have a guess the body count 18 not not good pretty close 21 okay These include the Nakatomi Security Guards, Takagi, Tony, Heinrich, Marco, James, Alexander. They were both blown up at the same time. Ellis, Fritz, Franco, Uli, both agents, Johnson, and the four other men in the chopper, Eddie, Hans, and Carl. For a total of 21. Now, the book, you know how I love to talk about book v. movie. Mm. Vast differences in the book. The book is quite dark. Now, the book, in the book. Um, the main character is visiting his daughter, not his wife. Right. Uh, and in the book, it was an actual terrorist attack rather than a sta- a robbery. Right. And the love interest in the book is the flight attendant who was in on who flies into L.A. with him. Yeah. And in the book, his daughter dies at the end, so it's pretty dark. Jesus. So uh, yeah, so they thought. Well, Spoiler yeah, alert! And and the main character wasn't named John McClane. He was just, his name was Joe Leland. To end in the in the book, he was permanently crippled. <laughs> in, in oh the book. Jesus! Not a really happy book that one. Uh, did you notice, mate? Uh, when Powell circles the Nakatomi parking lot, and I think I did bring this up, he says, "Who's driving this car?" Stevie Wonder. Our listening He's, to Stevie yep. Wonder in the car. Now, the centrefold, remember when he walks through the shaft and he sees the centrefold? Yes, and he
1: turns and looks, yeah.
0: Yeah, and he sort of touches it. Um, the, the, that was the Playboy playmate Pamela Stein. Uh, she was the playmate November 1987. But did you know there was another playmate in the movie? And that was uh, May 1982 playmate Kim Mallon. She was the woman who got dragged out of the meeting. Remember, there was two people in the office, and she had a top yeah. off. And she was that was she was another playmate. She was um, in, in there as well. Uh, and the the July nineteen eighty eight playmate Terry Lynn Doss, plays the woman at the airport. Remember how uh, who runs past? Remember you mentioned it. She runs past and jumps in the bloke's arms. Yes, she was a playmate. Wow, there that you go. Woman. So you got good. You noticed it, mate. You noticed it very well. One little um this is could be like plot hole but did you notice when remember how I told you Argyle rams the limo into the into the ambulance mm. and do you remember at the very end he also then rams the gates to get yeah. out of the thing uh, if you have a close look at the car there's hardly any damage there's no damage to the front of the limo Hollywood it's yeah it's uh it's pretty pretty strong car that one anyway we're at the end of the show mate and uh i'd like to know give us your wrap up give us your rating what do you think of this one
1: this is an eight and a half out of ten for me a very enjoyable flick you know why because it's 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 both intense but also fun to watch it there's enough humor in, in it
0: it's like it happens in real time eh? yeah, so it's like the, it's yeah, it's like watching an episode
1: you know 24 with jack 24, Bauer. yes you know yes, it's action-packed yes. and uh you know there's enough little little extra plot lines that you could definitely watch it again so Eight and a half out of ten, and if you think it's
0: a Christmas movie, you're a goose. <laughs> you think you're a bit cuckoo, which brings us to our next movie, which is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh. Is our next We're going Jack to be Nicholson. Uh, this is Jack Nicholson, Louise Fletcher. This is a, a movie that really swept the Oscars. Uh, is a, a great watch. Even it was made in the in the mid seventies. Still holds up today. Directed by Milosh Foreman. Really great film. Milos. A lot of great is that, a,
1: is that a nod in Seinfeld there or what?
0: Maybe, maybe. Very famous tennis director. coach. Yeah, so yeah. and he couldn't play tennis very well. Hey? Is that the one? Yep. Yeah. Another one. Yeah, well, that's us for next week. Uh, Merry Christmas to everyone. This is a Christmas movie in my mind. So whether you want to celebrate Christmas with Die Hard, you know, don't listen to Trevor, Trevor doesn't think it's a Christmas movie, but you know, what does it mean? Uh, uh, Merry Christmas to everyone. Uh, if you are listening, please, please, please feel free. Leave us a five-star rating. Let us what you think of the show. We're, any support is appreciated. So give us a thumbs up. Give us a rating. And we'll hear from you next week for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And we'll be back every week uh, through January
1: with uh, another movie each and every week. Thanks to Fetch and High Sense, Stephen, uh, I can't wait. See you next week. See ya, buddy.